Good morning, church. So good to be with you. The month of May is designated as National Foster Care Month in the United States. And so this morning, we're going to take a break from our uh, series of the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to uh, look at and uh, become aware of some of the numbers of orphans and abandoned children in our world. So let me just start with a definition. According to the UNICEF, the definition of an orphan is this. A child under the age of 18 who has lost one or both parents for any cause of death. Very strict definition. And so based on this definition, the number of orphans in the world right now is at about a 140 million. The number of double orphans, children that have lost both parents, 15.1 million in the United States, uh, in, throughout the world. This is global statistics. Now, what about children who have parents that are alive, but the parents cannot or choose not to take care of their children? They are not included in these numbers. Children abandoned by their parents, not included in these numbers. Children who uh, run away from home, not included in these numbers because of this strict definition. Children removed from their homes because the government deems their home to be an unsafe living environment, not included in these numbers. And there's... The data out there is not good. They're they're not sure how many of these children there are. But some estimate tens of millions. There's even one estimate that that says maybe even a hundred million of these children, they're not included in these numbers. In the U.S., our system of care for these children is our foster care system. And here are some statistics on our foster care system in the United States. There are approximately 440,000 children in foster care right now in the United States. The average age, 8 years old. The average stay, about 12 months. One of every two of these children will be reunited with their parents. But guess what? That means one of every two of these children are never reunited with their parents. Approximately 125,000 of these children right now in the United States are waiting to be adopted. Now I want to turn your attention to what God says about all this. In the Bible, God speaks of his deep love and his deep concern for orphans, widows, and foreigners. This is a theme that is repeated over and over again in the word of God. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10. And we're going to look at a few verses here in Deuteronomy chapter 10. And this is towards the beginning of your Bible. Starts with Genesis, Exodus, 
Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. And so we're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 10. This is Moses speaking. And listen carefully to what Moses says. Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning in verse 12, and it says this. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. And so Moses starts with a question, and the question is this, what does the Lord God ask of you? And he answers this question with these five phrases that are stacked beautifully, one on top of the other. Fear the Lord. Walk in obedience. Love him. Serve him and observe the Lord's commands and decrees. And then Moses does something very interesting. He reminds the people of who God is. And he reminds the people of who they are. Listen to what Moses says next. Verse 14. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens the earth, and everything in it. Yet he set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as, is, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. I love this part. It's always good to be reminded of who God is. Especially in in seasons when we're, we're down and out. It's always good to be reminded, who is God? And Moses says, God is creator of heaven and earth and everything in it. And it just takes me back to Genesis chapter 1, where God said, let there be light, and there was light. Where God set the sun and the moon and the stars in their place. Where God created Children, the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the water swarm and every winged bird of every kind. Where God made the animals of the earth, the cattle of every kind and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth of every kind. And then where God said, let us create humankind in our image according to our likeness. And so God created humankind in his image. Male and female, he created them. And God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. It's always good to remember who God is, no matter what season of life we're in. And then Moses does something interesting. He reminds them of who they are. 
He says, you have been chosen by God. You have been set apart by God. This is who you are. I love that. Then Moses does this. This is very important. Listen to the heart of God. Listen carefully. He says this. He says, God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger or the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. God intends for no one to be alone. God intends for no one to be familyless. God intends for no one to be unloved. God intends for no one to be uncared for. This is the heart of God. And God is especially concerned about the most vulnerable in our society. And at that time, the most vulnerable in society was the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner. Guess what? Nothing has changed much. Some of the most vulnerable in our society today continues to be the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner. Then in verse 19, Moses gives them the why. Why should we care about the most vulnerable in our midst? And Moses reminds the people of Exodus chapter 1. If you remember in Exodus chapter 1, the people of God are living as foreigners in Egypt. At first, it was just a small remnant of them. Nothing for the people of Egypt to be worried about. But over time, the people of God became fruitful. The people of God increased in number. The people of God multiplied and they spread throughout the land of Egypt. This made the king of Egypt nervous. And so the king of Egypt, they, he forces all of the Israelites, all of the people of God into slavery. And the conditions for the people of God were horrible. Listen closely to a description of the conditions that the people of God experienced in Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. It says this. It says, they, the Egyptians, put slave masters over the people of God to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. 
So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked the people of God ruthlessly. And Moses says, Do you remember? Do you remember that you were the most vulnerable in society? Do you remember that you were a slave in Egypt? Do you remember? Do you remember when God loved you and had compassion on you and heard your cry and rescued you out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of being the most vulnerable of society? Do you remember? And then in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 19, I think this is what Moses was saying. He was saying, in response to God's love, you, in turn, show love. In response to God's love for you, who are the most vulnerable in society, you, in turn, show love to the most vulnerable. In response to God's love, you show love. In response to God's love, you in turn show care. In response to God's, God's compassion, you in turn show compassion. In response to God's kindness, you in turn show kindness. In response to God's generosity, you in turn show generosity. And perhaps today, this month of May, National Foster Care Month, perhaps maybe the Lord is saying to us, in response to my love toward you, you who once was lost, but now you're found, you who once was blind, but now you see. You who once were afar off, but now you have been made near by the blood of Christ. You who once was a stranger and a foreigner, but now you are a fellow citizen with the saints and a member of the household of God. Maybe God is saying, in response to my love and my compassion, and my care, and my kindness toward you. You, in turn, show kindness, and love, and compassion, and care, and generosity toward some of the most vulnerable in our midst. The orphan, the widow, and the foreigner. This morning, I invited uh, some very special guests to be with us. They work with uh, this organization, wonderful organization called Harvest Family Life Ministries. And what they do is they work with, uh, they get involved with uh, children and families who, who are in the foster care system. And they're going to speak to us this morning, and I want to invite them up. Would you warmly welcome Pastor Brad and Esther McDaniel.
we're, we're really happy to be here. Thank you, Pastor, for having us. And, and I just want to share a couple of things, and, and then we're going to have some special friends come up and share as well. But Harvest Family Life Ministries has been uh, involved and, and working in Hawaii for about 10 years now. And, and our mission is to engage, and I'm going to talk specifically about that today because Pastor has already begun that process, to engage, equip, and empower the local church to create a culture of families who are prepared to answer God's call to care for the orphan. Now, there's lots of ministries out there who do this, who work to meet the needs of the orphans and, and, and engage the church to meet that needs. We, however, do that local domestically only. There are 140 million across the world. There are needs, and they need to be met. We focus here in Hawaii. Uh, we do have an arm, the national office that is in Texas, but we run the Hawaii arm. And so a little bit later, I'm going to break that down for you, what the local numbers are, so you can know what the needs are here. When we talk about engaging the local church, first of all, engaging is, is, is an active, it's an act of the will, it's an active verb that's being used is to participate, to be involved in together. We know the term engaged. When you're engaged to be married, there's a commitment that is made, and it's a together commitment. So when we talk about engagement, we begin with awareness, and Pastor, you've done that, and we'll bring it a little bit more. We've been talking with him and meeting with him, and, and our job, first and foremost, is for you to understand that this is not about Kenya, Uganda, Haiti, the Philippines, China, wherever else it may be. Not that those nations and countries are not important and the orphans that are in them are in dire places, but that we need to understand that this is right here. For all of those who support missions across the world, we praise God for them to care for those orphans. But we have a crisis right here in our backyard. And so engagement is about us coming into your church and other churches across our islands statewide to let you know the need, to say, here's some ways to meet the need, and then to walk with you in that pretty scary place. And, and it can be ugly, and it can be messy. And we told pastor, every pastor that we meet with, you know, if you have us come in and people begin to, to hear God's voice about this, church could get pretty messy. And, and I love messy churches, and, and he echoed that. Uh, most, most, very often that's, it's scary and that's good because, you know, when we're scared, when, when things are, are outside of our control, guess what we have to do? We have to go to our knees. We have to let God be in control. And that, that's really when we're where we need to be, when we're uncomfortable, when we're stretched, when we're out of our comfort zone. So we want to just kind of focus on the engage part today. And we're going to ask, I'm going to ask my wife to share we're going to invite some friends up in a minute. She is going to share a little bit of their story. And, and just so you understand, we are what we call a prevention to permanency ministry. So we also work with families who are teetering, who maybe their kids are not in the system yet, but they're one step away. We have a lot of families in our islands across the United States that they have very little margin. We know, I mean, Hawaii is not exactly the cheapest place on earth to live. We know that many of us are fighting from paycheck to paycheck, that every last penny is, is, ta- is spoken for. There's a lot of families out there that it's even worse than that. And one injury, sickness, accident on the way to work, and a job is lost. 
And so we work on the prevention side as well. We work with the birth families. And this is where it can be scary, guys. Because when we begin to help a family get licensed for foster care, one of the things we say to you guys as believers, as followers of Christ, is guess what? We need to walk alongside the birth family. But for the grace of God, there go I. Right? In my estimation, the biggest nightmare a parent can have is to have child welfare come in and remove the children from your home. doesn't matter what the reason is. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. My wife Esther is going to share. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And I noticed that there's a clock in the back, hun. So that was good because we were sitting there thinking, what are we to time? <laughs> I said, just stay up here because we can talk story all day. We have met so many families. Yesterday we had our um, annual foster care month prayer vigil. And there was stories from youth that have aged out of foster care. Um, we had birth families there. We had um, foster parents, adoptive parents. There's like a lot, a lot of stories. And if you go to our table, there's even more stories because we have some pictures of families that we serve here in our community. Somebody came up to our table this morning and said, is this here? And I was like, yeah, this is all local families on the photos on the table. And But I wanted to tell this one story because Pastor is giving us permission to, to bring some friends today that we're still friends with. And we met, I'm going to get the year wrong because I was getting birthdays all mixed up with all the different kids, but it's 2011. Um, I met Mapu, Annie Kaika at that time, and we actually were at a football game, I think with mom, and we got a call from child welfare. Now, I, have, I wanna premise this in saying that we, we were not, we, when we went into foster care, we had a two-bedroom apartment. We had two little kids of our, our own, our birth children. Um, there wasn't extra room, per se, we didn't have um, extra parenting training. We didn't, there was a lot of stuff that you could go, what? There's a lot of lack there. There's not a lot of preparation. But God was always with us every step of the way. And there's one thing about foster care that is for sure is there's a ton of stuff that is not in your control. And if there's a time that you're going to be dependent on God, and if there's a time that you're going to see yourself when, when people want to get really downright, like we go to family court and we have volunteers who sit in the lobby so that we can support families because it's a scary thing going to family court. I have had some volunteers who go, I'm never doing that again. Because honestly, they just wanted to slash tires and punch somebody in the face. They wanted to become violent when they found out what had happened in this family. So we're just being really real and honest. And I, I give a lot of credit to Mapu and um, Ben and Ben Jr. Ikaika for being um, brave and telling our story of how we met. And so first off, I want to say, though, it wasn't an abuse situation. There had been an accident where, where um, Ikaika got hurt. But it that starts a ball rolling. And that's how we met. So child welfare called and said, hey, we have this, he's going to be one, and he was going to be celebrating his birthday, but he got hurt. And then they wanted to investigate what happened. So he was on staff at Calvary Chapel Pearl Harbor, and so here we were. We're like at the football game. Oh, we have church tomorrow morning. How are we going to do all this? So we just meet up and then um, get baby, and he was unhappy because he was not with his mama. And he's like, who are we? It's not his home. It wasn't his bed. It wasn't familiar settings. But we tried to make him as comfortable as possible. And then eventually, in a few days, we got to meet Mapu. And uh, we started having regular visits. But one of the first things, and Mapu, if you want to come up now, 
One of the first things, though, was that I tried to reassure her that I wasn't replacing her. Um, I didn't have a lot of training, let me tell you. But it was just a lot of the stuff that you feel out of your heart. Like, how would you want to be treated? Um, I wasn't going to judge her because I didn't even really know the situation. I didn't know what happened at that time. And you're almost as tall as me. And um, we were being brought together by these authorities, you know, like really serious. And they had concerns because they wanted to celebrate his birthday. And that was being taken they weren't going to allow that to happen. There's a lot of loss, a lot of loss. <laughs> and there's a lot of stuff I can't fix. But what I could do, what we could do was make sure that he was loved and saved. And I certainly didn't want her to feel like I was going to take him. And so one of the first things we talked about in that meeting, which was really nice that the social workers let us meet and talk, was just to say that I look at you like my sister. So, and like when he said, by the grace of God, there go I, I thought I could have had my child hurt. I could have had something that happened and then I, or I wouldn't have been able to take care of my children and who would I want to take care of them? And so that was the attitude that we went into it. And from there, as you can see, we're still friends. We've gone to almost every single birthday except for when I've been sick or something happened or been away and your birthday's coming up in September. So I just, we just wanted to hear from Mapu too, so you could put a face to like what's going on in foster care here in our community about, um, obviously we're friends, <laughs> but um, what were some of the things that were the most helpful per se from the church? And then of course, I don't want to negate Ben, but he, maybe he can just say a couple things later about where he was in all this situation. Well, for me, it was um, <clears throat> having you and, and Pastor Brad was my inspiration to keep up, keep my head up high, um, especially for my goal to get my son back. Right. Um, that was my most important, for both me and my husband, our goal was to get our son back. That was our goal, because it wasn't abuse, right. you know, um, he fell down and got hurt, and... CPS stepped in and accused it was abuse. Um, but my goal, our goal was to get our son back. And we achieved it. It was a hard, it was hard. I'm not going to lie. It, it was really hard. There's times that we fell, but we picked ourselves up, dust ourselves up, and continue our roads. Um, for my husband, it was hard because um, he got incarcerated, you know, in 2013. Um, when we got reunited, we just got reunited with our son. And two weeks later, he got incarcerated for five years. I raised him by myself got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. It was a struggle for me to um, take care of him with my rheumatoid arthritis being in pain. But to Esther and Brad, um, they were my inspiration. They told me I could do it, keep my head up high. It's hard, but I got it. 
sent him to school. He's been getting good grades, you know. Um, I show Esther and Bradley's report cards. And <laughs> showed Esther and Bradley's report cards, and they told him, they told me that the grades he getting, it was to me, his guidance, and yeah. But my husband needs to say something. Yeah, I was, I was daydreaming. No. Do we have any single parents? Parents, you know. The kind of situation is not good. Every family in here needs to watch their kids very carefully. Any discrepancy, when CPS finds out zero, triple zero tolerance, they will not listen to you, they are going to listen to them. And as for me, I had an anger issue. I did not listen to them of what they were saying, Mr. Know-it-all. That is why I got incarcerated. It hurts for me to be in that kind of situation, and I don't want any individual to go through, the, through that formality. It's not good. And the reason why I'm crying, because the doctor who had consists of stating that Hikaika got hurt, he stated that I hit him with a hammer on his head. And then the secondary of his explanation, I went punch him on his head. Anytime you can hit somebody with one hammer, it's going to have a lot of bones that will be inconsistent of the head itself. And when he was a little boy, maybe, he didn't know what was going on. When we was at the hospital, But as uh, for the Lord, he himself said that those who love him, especially his heavenly son, Christ Jesus, he will take care. And when he says that, the word is faith. Anybody who has faith in here, it doesn't consist of only, oh, I know the word. No. It must be consist of your heart. And by being in your heart, your conduction in a community to act accordingly and not to be forceful, but just to love the word itself. And when you love the word and you follow the pattern of what the Lord says, he himself will guide you and direct you 24-7. The reason why I'm saying that, like I said in my, my, while I uh, had spoken, I had an anger issue. Mr. Know-it-all. So Mr. Know-it-all had to convey message with myself, within my heart and mind. Hey, Ben, you think you're tough? You think you are that? <laughs> nobody, nobody on earth can beat the Lord. Nobody. 
So as you convey message with, with yourself, especially for me, speaking up here, it gave me a lot of incentive to talk to the Lord and to convey message within my heart and mind to say, enough is enough. And when I did that, things had fallen accordingly. And I had chicken skin because everybody thinks, oh, yeah, pray to the Lord. Nothing going to happen. But when you put it within your heart and mind and your love for the Lord, He will move mountains. And when He moves mountains, it's so, so unbearable. You cannot even think, wow, so happy inside. And when you get happy, you're making the Lord happy. Because why? You're putting yourself in line of His Word. It is hard, you know. It is hard because why? We earthly creatures love to see worldly things and, oh, check this out. Oh, just go. We're going to move out. Oh, look at the vehicle. Ooh. But that's all material things, yeah? Especially when you perish, it doesn't go with you. So, anyway, we, have, we thank you for um, inviting us and for Brad and Esther. We thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. We, we want them to share not because we walked with them, but because it was the body of Christ that walked with them. That, that's what the message is about. Locally, just to bring it all home, we have a friend, uh, a ministry leader at Calvary Chapel, Pearl Harbor, who's been a supervisor of Child Welfare Services for over 20 years now. Not a supervisor that old time, but I've been working there. And so we got some, some real recent numbers. Right here in EVA, this year up through the end of April, 42 children were removed from homes. That's your neighbors. Okay, if we include Kapolei, that's another 77. And when we add the Waianae Coast, that's another 153. So nearly 300 children just out here on the west side from January through April who were removed from homes by Child Welfare Services. Bigger numbers, statewide, there's 2,500 kids in the foster care system. If we go by that, right now, four to 500 of them are waiting to be adopted. Local kids, four to 500. If we go by the, the stats, and, and normally we stay about pretty close to national, at some point, that's nearly 1,300 children, local kids in our state, whose parental rights will be terminated. And they need a mom and a dad. They need a forever home. So I just, I, I want to bring that to you and, and understand that we always say not everyone is called to adopt. Not everyone is called to do foster care. But some of you here may be. <laughs> not going to let you off the hook, sorry. Take the next step. We are all called to care. And do something. Do something. We have a tool that we are bringing, and we'll show the video clip, that, that is an, a really simple way for Ohana Christian Church and, and other churches that we're working with to kind of dip your toes in, in the water, to begin to get involved in the lives of vulnerable children. So let's show the clip, and then I'll show you how it works. Harvest Family Life Ministries has been blessed to be the implementing partner for Care Portal for our state. We launched in Kona. In November 9th. In four months, four churches are a part of that network. 
They've served 51 children. What we say is Care Portal is doing what we've been doing for 10 years now, but it's the technology, so we will be exponentially multiplying the work that we've been able to do much more efficient. We will be launching on Oahu in July, at the end of July, Pastor. And I know you're going to close us up, so I just wanted to put that out there, and I'm going to let you finish us up here. Thank you for having us. Come see us after. Not everyone, like Pastor Brad said, are called to adopt. Not everyone are called to be foster parents, but some of you are, yeah. But he gave me a whole list of, of how we can take action. And I'm like, wow, I can do something. Every single one of us can do something. Check this out. You can pray for children. You can become a respite family and uh, maybe give a foster parent some, a date night by taking care of their children so they can go to the movies and watch Avengers. Yeah? You can, uh, during Christmas, you can um, adopt a kid and provide Christmas gifts for them. And, and these kids would otherwise not have Christmas gifts. You can put together a packet, care package for children entering foster care. And, so, and the, there's 26 things on this list. I would encourage you to go and visit with uh, Brad and Esther. Uh, they, they have a little table set up right there after service, and I would encourage you to do that.